Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Terrorists have been active on the global stage for the past 2,000 years. But the evolutionary path has accelerated in recent decades, in particular after 9-11. While the attacks have not been as devastating as 9-11, they've been frequent across many parts of the globe, with new methods and technologies being employed to achieve lethal results. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the current fight against terrorism and where it's headed is RAND terrorism expert Brian Michael Jenkins, once called the godfather of terrorism research by The Washington Post. Brian, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you very much. You started at RAND 50 years ago. Congratulations on that significant milestone. Uh, the world has changed quite a bit since then, uh, when terrorism was centered on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict involving airplane hijackings and, of course, the Munich Olympics massacre. The means may have changed, but it, have the underlying factors that inspire terrorism changed at all, or are they pretty much the same as they were back then when you first started in this business? Well, actually, back in the late 1960s, there were a number of things going on. Uh, you mentioned one already. Uh, certainly, uh, the Middle East was, was a source of, of a number of the grievances and conflicts that resulted in terrorist attacks. Uh, there were also a number of uh, so-called urban urban guerrilla groups in Latin America that were carrying out bombings and kidnappings of diplomats. Uh, we also saw at, at that time an increase in, in terrorist violence um, in both Europe and in the United States. In Europe, groups like the Red Brigades in Italy, the Red Army faction in Germany, uh, the Irish Republican Army in the United Kingdom. And, of course, in, in this country, we had groups on the far left, groups on the far right, and, and other groups uh, uh, that were really reflecting uh, foreign quarrels that imported into the United States. What people seldom recall is that in the 1970s in the United States, we were dealing with 50 to 60 terrorist bombings a year. Uh, that is not something we have seen in the years since. What would you characterize as the biggest changes in how terrorists operate today as compared to 50 years ago? I, I think there have been a number of broad developments. Uh, first, we saw the, the geographic spread uh, of, of terrorism around the world. Uh, that took place in the late 60s, early 1970s. And then we saw uh, what might be called a standardization of, of, of the terrorist repertoire that is settling on on hijackings or kidnappings or bombings, uh, armed assaults. That has pretty much remained the norm over the years until very, very recently. 
Of course, uh, airline hijackings have declined significantly as a result of extraordinary security measures. Again, people seldom recall in the early 70s, it was still possible simply to go to an airport and walk on board an airplane. Uh, that has changed. I think the, the third development that we saw was the, the escalation of terrorism. The worst incidents of terrorism in the 1970s were measured in the tens of fatalities. Uh, this escalated to the hundreds in the 1980s. Uh, of course, on 9-11, it went into the thousands, and uh, people extrapolated future scenarios in which we might be confronting terrorist incidents with tens of thousands of casualties. Of course, those could only be achieved with weapons of mass uh, destru- destruction. We, we did not see uh, uh, that kind of escalation uh, beyond 9-11. 9-11 appears now to have been a, a, a one-off. Uh, but we have seen a horizontal escalation, and that is uh, simply a volume of terrorist activity taking place around the world, often low-level primitive attacks. We see these attacks in Europe, uh, knife attacks, attacks by ramming vehicles into pedestrians or people on a bike path, as we have seen both, again, in this country and abroad. And I think the biggest change now has, uh, over the years has been the normalization of terrorism. And it has become a, 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 a mode of political expression, uh, a mode of armed conflict, so that it is difficult to imagine any uh, conflict in the world today that may not have a terrorist component. Going off of that, you look at Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Somalia, Mm -hmm. the list goes on of states that have been torn apart by civil war. What's the likelihood that terrorism can ever be stamped out in those countries and what needs to be done? You know, I think we, we, we have to move away from the notion of, of eradicating terrorism, eliminating terrorism. Terrorism may end up in the same category that we think of when we think about crime. I mean, we don't expect the, uh, the police in San Francisco or New York to announce that they have defeated crime and are demobilizing the police department. Um, I, I think really these, this is going to be an enduring task going forward. Certainly, uh, the groups will change. Um, the tactics may change somewhat. Um, but the, the issue goes on in the 1980s. Uh, of course, on 9-11, it went into the thousands and uh, people extrapolated future scenarios in which we might be confronting terrorist incidents with tens of thousands of casualties. Of course, those could only be achieved with weapons of mass uh, destru- destruction. We, we did not see uh, uh, that kind of escalation uh, beyond 9-11. 9-11 appears now to have been a, a, a one-off. Uh, but we have seen a horizontal escalation, and that is uh, simply a volume of terrorist activity taking place around the world, often low-level primitive attacks. We see these attacks in Europe, uh, knife attacks, attacks by ramming vehicles into pedestrians or people on a bike path, as we have seen 
both, again, in this country and abroad. And I think the biggest change now has, uh, over the years has been the normalization of terrorism. And it has become a, 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 a mode of political expression, uh, a, a mode of armed conflict. So that is difficult to imagine any uh, conflict in the world today that may not have a terrorist component. Going off of that, you look at Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Somalia, Mm. the list goes on of states that have been torn apart by civil war. What's the likelihood that terrorism can ever be stamped out in those countries and what needs to be done? You know, I think we we have to move away from the notion of, of eradicating terrorism, eliminating terrorism. Terrorism may end up in the same category that we think of when we think about crime. I mean, we don't expect the uh, the police in San Francisco or New York to announce that they have defeated crime and are demobilizing the police department. Um, I, I think really these this is going to be an enduring task going forward. Certainly, uh, the groups will change. Um, the tactics may change somewhat. Um, but the the issue goes on because of simply because of technological developments, because of political developments, because of the development of terrorist tactics themselves. Power, and here I mean power defined crudely, is simply the capacity to kill, destroy, disrupt, create alarm, oblige us to divert vast resources to security. That power has come into the hands of groups smaller and smaller, gangs whose grievances, real or imaginary, it's not always going to be possible to satisfy. And how we deal with that, especially within a democratic society and remain a democratic society, is one of the major challenges we face. The immediate focus on fighting terrorism is what's being done militarily. And while those battles are often won against the terrorist groups, such as ISIS or al-Qaeda, what needs to be done to prevent them from continuing to live on in their current form? Uh, what needs to be done in in the nation-building process and, and building stable states that uh, would discourage terrorist activities? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. We, we have had a measure of success uh, on the battlefield, but... Uh, we haven't dented the terrorist determination, and, and, and we haven't really been able to eliminate some of the uh, uh, some of the causes and conditions that that breed terrorism. Unfortunately, in some cases, this requires major investment in in not simply uh, uh, assisting nations economically, but in in putting into place government institutions and improving the quality of governments, uh, in some cases uh, increasing the ability uh, of political systems to absorb uh, opposition in in an appropriate way. Uh, That's a process where we're talking about generations, uh, not simply decades, to do, and where we're talking about huge investments. So while we recognize that there are these fundamental underlying causes, and and while there are these ungoverned or less governed spaces in the world, eliminating those 
That's going to take another half century to a century. Europe has received an estimated 2 million refugees from Syria fleeing the country's civil war over the past seven years. How do you see that playing out in the future for Europe, with many of these refugees living in squalor and very little economic or sociopolitical opportunity in those countries? Well, I think there's, there's uh, two broad sets of problems. One is on, 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 on the push side, and, and that is that, uh, of course, the conflict is not over in Syria. We see right now, if we look at the headlines, the, the battle for Idlib uh, shaping up. There are three million civilians who, who live in that area. If that becomes a, a major battle, then we're going to see hundreds of thousands of more refugees who will uh, desperately try to cross the Turkish border, try to get out of the way and increase that, uh, increase that refugee flow. Beyond that, if, if, if there are about 40 armed conflicts going on in the world today, more than half of them are occurring in Africa. Uh, those conflicts, plus in many cases, uh, the chaotic conditions they, they create, uh, the economic desperation uh, that they both reflect and exacerbate, uh, that's going to continue. So on the push side, we are seeing levels of refugee flows that have been, you know, that go back to, back to World War II in terms of the total volume. So the push is going to continue. On the on the reception side, um, we've seen a growing backlash against uh, uh, against the refugees, against uh, these these immigrants, especially in in Europe, uh, where countries are refusing to take them, uh, where they're having difficulty assimilating uh, the these immigrants, and, and this is an area where actually the United States historically has had a lot more success. The European countries are not really used to absorbing immigrants on, on that scale. And those, those refugees, uh, uh, those immigrants, however they got to, to some of these European countries, um, there are going to be real challenges in assimilating them. They are much slower in getting them to, to work and that means slower in getting them to learn the language, uh, to be absorbed into society. And we already see uh, these uh, radical organizations, um, jihadist organizations, are recruiting and trying to radicalize these, these frustrated refugees and immigrants. On the other side, uh, we have seen a sharp upswing in in some of these xenophobic, uh, white supremacist, neo-Nazi groups, which are taking direct action against the immigrants. So society is being extremely strained by this movement of people in Europe. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking with RAND terrorism expert Brian Michael Jenkins. Uh, Brian, we've seen a rise in lone wolf attacks. They obviously create big headlines. Is that the main importance of these limited-scale attacks? No, I think we have to be careful here. As, as I said, we were dealing with, with 50 to 60 terrorist bombings in the United States in the 1970s. These were campaigns 
Um, about 90% of all of these uh, more recent plots and attacks have been carried out by a single individual, or in some cases, a couple of brothers or a husband and wife, as in the attack in San Bernardino. Um, there is, they can be lethal, to be sure, but they're one-off. There's, there's no learning. There's no improvement in their skills. They are primitive. Where they, where they have access to a firearm and can use that, they're quite deadly. Um, for the most part, though, these are people with very limited capacity. And again, uh, I don't want to sound like some kind of a death jockey. Every single death is, is, is tragic. But if we look at the 17 years since 9-11 in this country, um, we have seen about, oh, about 20-some uh, attacks. These have resulted in, sadly, a, a few more than 100 fatalities, 49 of them in a single case, a nightclub in, in Orlando, Florida. Uh, but that works out to an average of about six a year in a country that has 12 to 15,000 homicides a year. Uh, the level of violence is not going to bring down the republic, and we have to we really have to take care not to overreact to this. And I don't mean that we're not going to, to try to prevent it. And in fact, the authorities are preventing more than 80% of these plots that take place. But that we're not going to overreact in, in, in ways that, that really affect our fundamental values in this society as a consequence of fear. And, and that, I think, is the real threat that the so-called lone wolf attacks uh, create. They, they, they create the impression that no one is safe anywhere. And that alarm has a corrosive effect on, on democracy, on commitment to the values, which are, in fact, an important part of our own arsenal. Brian, how critical has technology been to current terrorist movements, whether uh, social media or mobile devices? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, in, in years past, uh, when, we were, when we were looking at research, we, we, we tried to look at what weapons were on the horizon, what, what developments uh, in the area of weaponry that terrorists might ad adapt uh, to their uh, to their tactics. So we're looking at surface-to-air missiles, uh, precision-guided munitions, things of this sort. And we missed the one that had the greatest importance, and that was the Internet. The Internet fundamentally altered uh, uh, terrorism. It, 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 it gave these groups an opportunity to communicate directly with their, um, with their perceived uh, constituents, their supporters. It gave them new opportunities to advertise their message, to recruit. And some of these groups, for example, the Islamic State or ISIS, they have been extremely effective with social media in, in, in recruiting people. Now, we don't want to overestimate that because this is they're constantly exhorting people to take action, trying to inspire them to carry out attacks. 
And thus far, fortunately, this is kind of low-yield ore. They're, they're constantly advertising. They're not selling a lot of cars. But they do get these self-selecting individuals to occasionally carry out these, these attacks. Drones were used to attempt an assassination on Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro recently. Is that a new can of worms that governments have to deal with, the fact that basically anybody can get their hands on a drone now? You know, uh, drones are one of the issues that are of concern, and there are some efforts going on to try to uh, figure out how to best counter that. Uh, But the one that really is a faster-growing trend that is extraordinarily difficult to counteract um, are these car ramming attacks. Uh, Vehicles are even more accessible than drones, and we live in cities where there are millions of people, and and in many cases hundreds of thousands of, 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 uh, of motor vehicles, and uh, separated only by inches. And, and therefore, what we have seen uh, is a, a trend uh, toward these uh, car ramming attacks where somebody just drives up over the curb and starts mowing down people or plows into a, a farmer's market or something like that and, and, and kills a number of people. Uh, that is that trend is actually ahead of the drone trend. In 2008, you wrote a book titled "Will Terrorists Go Nuclear?" It's been 10 years. How close are we to that frightening possibility? You know, we 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 don't that I, we don't know that. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not recognizing the field of prophecy. So I, I I I. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 